0: Hi, thanks for downloading Pep Talk. If you enjoy today's episode, why not get a free copy of Andy's book or my book by becoming a regular supporter. Visit us at solas-cpc.org and donate just £3 per month. Thanks so much. On with the show.
1: And Welcome to Pep Talk, the persuasive evangelism podcast. I'm Andy Bannister from the Solar Centre for Public Christianity and I'm joined today as ever by my co-host Christy Mayer from Oak Hill College uh, in London. Christy, how are you doing today? Doing
0: very well, thank you. You know, lockdown central, but very happy and sunny. Thanks.
1: Well, given a choice of being uh, locked down where you are in London, Christie, or being locked down where I am in Scotland, I think I know uh, which I'd prefer. You chose
0: the better way, didn't you? <laughs> yeah.
1: But all that aside, you know, we have a really exciting guest uh, on the show today. I'm thrilled that Glenn Scrivener, is joining us on Pep Talk today. Glenn uh, wears a number of hats. Uh, he's an evangelist. Uh, he's a writer, a broadcaster, an author. He's the director of Speak Life. And uh, Glenn, welcome to Pep Talk.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Well, Glenn, it's great to have you on the show. And there are so many things we could talk to you about. You are a, a man of many words, uh, certainly a man of many videos. Uh, also an Australian. Of course, no one's perfect. And I'm sure you'll get your own back for that one later. Um but you know, of all the books that you've uh, written, I think the one that I found most helpful and possibly recommended to the most other people is uh, is your uh, book on evangelism. Three, two, one. Uh, the story of God, uh, the world, and you. Talk to us a bit about that book. Why you wrote it, and uh, and what the idea behind it is, and why it's helpful.
2: Oh, thank you. Well, uh, it started by me reading a blog post uh, where somebody said uh, you can explain the gospel in uh, one, two, three, four and they said, you know, God is one, and then the, uh, there's the uh, creator-creature distinction is the two-ness that's out there, and then three, he brought in Trinity, and then four, I forget what four was, um, but um, he, he kind of yeah laid out this gospel presentation, and I thought to myself, uh, what would it be like to start with three? Like, what would it be like to put Trinity front and center in your gospel presentation? And, um, and so I thought, well, you'd have to count backwards, wouldn't you? And then what would two be? And I thought, well, Adam and Christ, that would, be two, wouldn't it? And then one, union with Christ. And I was like, hello, this works as a mnemonic. But I think also it works in that these are foundational doctrines to um, how we think about the faith. The threeness of God, God is a loving union of three. The twoness of the world, the world is shaped by two representatives, Adam and Christ. And then the oneness of you, uh, you are one with Adam, be one with Jesus. And I think these issues are not the most straightforward things that they're not simplistic. It's not like you would ordinarily think, oh, I I know where I'm going to begin my evangelism. Why don't I unpack the doctrine of the Trinity? Um, (laughs) But I think on the far side of some, Rich and profound ideas, you get a heck of a lot of simplicity. So when you start talking about God as a loving union of three, then you start talking about ultimate reality is love because God is love. And when you start talking about Adam and Christ, I think it gives you a really rich way of thinking about how all of humanity is in the same boat together. We're all these children of Adam. We've all got the same mortality. We've got all all the same frailness and fallenness. And actually, on the far side of some difficult perhaps or complex issues i think there's a simplicity that that comes out on 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 the other side of it and so i've i've just been loving unpacking the gospel with people, talking about the threeness of God, the two-ness of the world, the Ones of you. And it exists as a book and loads of different videos and there's a course and we're refilming the course at the moment and, and hoping uh, next year actually to get out there uh, with 321 as, a, as a, an evangelistic course that has a unique selling point in that it's only three sessions. Uh, and yeah, introducing people straight off to, to who is God. And, and yeah, I've, I've, I've just loved getting into conversations with people around that.
0: I think that's one of the things that I really love about the the three two one um, work, Glenn, is that you you don't shy away from a really complex doctrine when it comes to the Trinity, and you kind of just say, you know, this is this is who our God is. He's Father, Son, and Spirit. How how have you kind of got into conversations um, with those that you know from from Him?
2: Mm. I think it's some people say, "Ah, oh, Glenn, you start with Trinity." Actually, what I start with is Jesus, because. Um, it's life according to Jesus, and but as soon as you start taking seriously the Jesus God, you start taking seriously the one who is the Son of the Father, who's full of the Spirit. Um, so that simplifies things. What we're not introducing people to is a creed. What we're not introducing people to is you know Augustine's De Trinitate or something. What, what we're, we're not introducing people to. Um, an abstract doctrine we 're introducing them to Jesus, but as soon as you take Jesus seriously, um, he is from the Father, and yet he is divine, and he 's full of the spirit and if you if he gives you his spirit, then apparently he is with you and and there 's this threeness and this oneness, and all of a sudden you have the doctrine of the Trinity, not because you 've started with a creed but because you 've started with Jesus. Where this I think becomes fruitful in evangelism is um, you know, here's, here's a comparison. Jesus says in John 17 verse 24, Father, you loved me before the foundation of the world. So before the universe existed, there was love. There was a Niagara Falls of love and blessing crashing down from the Father to the Son in the joy of the Spirit. This is who God is. And and this is why in the Bible, it can say underneath all things are the everlasting arms. Now that that is... A hugely attractive vision of God and of all reality. Everything has come from love. It's shaped by love. Underneath are the everlasting arms. And then often I, I will, you know, compare that with Richard Dawkins, who said, you know, the universe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. And at that stage, you've got a very interesting compare and contrast. You're like, who's right, uh, Moses? Or Dawkins. Moses says, underneath are the everlasting arms. Dawkins says, underneath there is blind, pitiless indifference. Take your pick. And so at at that point, you see, again, a doctrine that could be just, um, you could think of it as very obtuse, as very distant, as very um, abstract. Actually, when you get down to it, it means that God is love and you're invited. I think that becomes very rich and very attractive in evangelism.
1: What I find so fascinating, Glenn, about how you unpack that uh, is that when you begin with the Trinity like you do, you know, it can work both at a very complex level and a very simple level, can't it? If you're sort of theologically wired and and drawn to these kind of big ideas, you can think about it in that way. But also, if you're not theologically wired, you can just grasp the Jesus bit. As you say, Mm -hmm. begin with who Jesus is. It works powerfully at that level, too. And I think it's obviously the same for the... The two, isn't it? On the one hand, you've got the two templates, Jesus and Adam, that's a very big theological idea, but also when it comes down to uh, the world out there, when it comes down to atheism and the, and the contrast with Christianity, that's very simple, and uh, we can look around us and see that played out in the world, but clearly the sort of two forces at work, I find it fascinating. That Even our secular friends are are drawn naturally to things like beauty and love and justice, and they see the attraction there. Mm. But also, I think they're very aware of the the power of darkness and evil and the alternatives. I think this whole framework is is fascinating that it works at those levels. So why don't you talk us through, you've talked through the three parts, but why don't you now talk us a bit through the the two parts of that
2: 3-2-1 framework uh, that you're describing so two, the world is shaped by two representatives, Adam and Jesus. And one way of getting into the subject, I mean, I could t- talk about my own uh, experience. So I, I was born in Australia and that that was, you know, that was my birthright. Um, but you go back uh, nine generations and my great, 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 great grandmother stole 10 yards of printed cotton from a London market. And uh, so she was a thief and she was to be hanged by the neck until dead, until uh, the judge commuted a sentence from life transportation, uh, from, from death to... To life transportation um, to Australia, which many people thought was a, a fate worse than death at the time. But uh, I always say to people, she, she left the set of Oliver Twist, she wound up on the set of Home and Away. So I think she did quite well out of the whole caper. Who says crime doesn't pay? But <laughs> she... Um, so one woman committed one crime, there was one exile. And actually, the rest of the family tree after her took a a different route. And I was born in Australia, not because I'd won the lottery, not because I'd earned it, not because I'd paid for it. But it was part of my family, um, part of my family history. And actually, if we go back through all our family histories um they'll be full of Anne forbes type figures there'll be people who survived the war there'll be people who left the nunnery and ran away with you know uh the lord of the manor or what, whatever there'll, there'll be all sorts of skeletons in your closets um there'll be all sorts of uh, times in your family tree where people made decisions and your life is now radically different because of the decisions of others um and I think as soon as you start talking in these sorts of terms, it really radically undercuts our Western individualism. We tend to think of ourselves as I am a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. It's my choices. It's it's what I choose to like um, that that determines who I am. And it's just a nonsense that's just utter fairy tale insanity to to believe that I am the choices that I've made like the like like if we get to know one another, I'll tell you the kind of things that I like and the sort of things that I choose um but ninety nine percent of who I am was determined by you know people who you know are far above me in the in the family tree, decisions that were made that had you know no one had even thought of me. I didn't choose to be born when I was, where I was, with the genetics that I have, with it, you know, anything. We are not the choices that we made. We find ourselves in a family called the human family, and it is dysfunctional. And so in evangelism, I can then sort of talk about, you know, Ad, Ad, Adam is a representative. His name means humanity. So what we see him doing in the garden is what we are always doing. And what does he do? He's suspicious of God, so he's selfish. It leads to slavery and then self-justifications. There's this massive screw up and then the separation from God. Uh, and as you go through you know, that life of Adam, you can just say, well, can you relate to that? Of course you can relate. Maybe we're related. Maybe we're part of this this whole human family that's dysfunctional. And then the good news is that Jesus is the second Adam, the one who comes from God's family into our family so that we who are in this dysfunctional human family can join Christ's divine family. That's the two.
0: And then you move on to the one, don't you? Is that where you say um, you are one in Adam, be one in Christ? How would you go about... Um... Just thinking about right now, <laughs> at the time of recording, we're in COVID-19. Well, we're in lockdown. <laughs> COVID-19 is a reality. Um, how would you go about kind of presenting the 3-2-1 the to those who currently are just very fearful, mm-hmm. um, probably quite alone, isolated, anxious, mm-hmm. um, concerns over many things? How would you yeah, really kind of bring uh, the, the full force of everything that you've just shared with us to bear to those kind of weary
2: hearts? So union with Christ means that though I've been born one with Adam, though, though I am part of this frail, failed, dying humanity, um, there is hope. Um, there, there is one who has come who is apparently, he, he claims to be the answer to all these problems. Whereas Adam is a representative of all the ways we get things wrong. Um, Christ is the representative of life as it should be. Um and, and he came into this frail, fallen, mortal life, took it all on himself, because that's what love does. And and you know I'm often telling th- this very simple story, you know, a man falls into a pit and tries he might, he can't get out. You know, someone comes to the top of the pit and, and says, you know, if you'd listened to me, you'd never have fallen into the pit and then walks along or the next guy comes to the top of the pit and sees the man falling down and, and, and says, you know, you need to climb harder, you know, try, try more. A true friend comes to the top of the pit, pit and dives down into it and becomes one with the person in all their frailty and all their struggle and lifts them out, and that's who Jesus is. He becomes one with us in in our struggle, in our suffering um and he wants to be one with us through this valley of deep shadow and out the other side and I think what we're gonna i think I think looking back at covid nineteen th- looking back at twenty twenty at a distance of let's say a couple of years. What, what will we want to learn about this this time? I, th- I think as Christians, we, we want to be able to say, I don't know how I got through 2020, but somehow Jesus got me through. And here we are in this valley of the shadow of death, and everyone is being confronted with their mortality. I mean, a plague is a time of intensification, and it's an intensified feeling that time is running out, that I'm not in control of my life, that there are forces out there that are far bigger than me, that the li- life is a very, very scary place, and I am headed towards the grave. Um, we are all walking through the valley of the shadow of death. The truth of one is there is a good shepherd who has entered into the valley to be with us and to be for us. And the great tragedy is that people would ever walk through that valley alone when Christ is right there opening his arms wide to the world and, and saying, I want to be with you. I want to walk you through this. That's that's the wonder of oneness.
1: This has been a really helpful framework to walk people through, Glenn. Thank you for, for sharing all this. But, you know, a question that follows, I think, especially given our context, you know, as we record this, uh, we're still in the middle of COVID-19. That makes evangelism very hard. We're kind of locked down, we're not seeing people in the same way, relating in the same way. But, you know, One of the things that I've long enjoyed about your work is that you are uh, one of a small number of people, I think, who've mastered uh, using online media really, really well. You've uh, kind of rebuilt a number of sort of things around that platform. Now, we don't all have access to the recording studios and and the kit that you have, but I wonder, Are there things, Glenn, that you've learnt about online evangelism that the rest of us uh, listening to this podcast could perhaps learn from? You know, are there ways that we can maybe use digital technology or the Internet, social media, all those things? Are there ways we can use uh, those online platforms more effectively in our own everyday evangelism, especially in these times where that may be the only option or one of the main options open to us?
2: I think so much of being online these days is is just being an authentic presence. Um you you put somewhere in your bio that you're a Christian and then just don't be a jerk. I think I think that that's kind of um that is n- 95% of evangelism online actually. Um be clearly a Christian. Talk about it as though it makes a difference and if Sunday morning made a difference to you, you can say it on Facebook. Um Put it clearly out there that you are a Christian. It will be shaping the decisions that you make. It will be disa- shaping the way that you see the world and some of your posts some of the time. Um, it doesn't mean that you always have to share those memes that Auntie Elaine is always sharing in soft focus <laughs> and, and Comic Sans font. You, you don't have to do that. Um, but just just be a Christian and don't be a jerk is ninety five percent of it. Um, and and then are there are there other you know resources that people can use? I, I you know we we try at Speak Life to to produce um, videos that that aren't the cringiest that people can be proud to share because I I think social media works the way that mission works. <clears throat> I mean, social media works on the pro, on on the basis that what you like you share. And I think actually the gospel spreads around the world on that very same basis, Um, that actually we produce media that we hope Christians really like, and we try to make the gospel plain to people in a way that draws out the richness of the good news of Jesus in a way that Christians go, oh, this is great, actually. And to the degree that you like something, you end up sharing it, and then the thing goes viral. And actually... That is that is literally how the Great Commission works, and it's how social media works. Um, so my bits of advice would be not a million miles from um, what you would say to anyone in any discipleship you know context. Is you know proudly own the fact that you're a Christian, walk with integrity, and when you when you mess up, you know confess and say I've really got that wrong. And um, Take those opportunities to demonstrate something of the forgiveness of, of of Christ, but but try to walk with integrity. Try not to be a jerk. And there are resources out there. And and at these times of lockdown, um, there are how much how much easier could it be to invite somebody to church this Sunday? Um, it's incredibly easy. You know, there, there is the web link. Um, come along, drop in, see see what we're like. Um, and there's some evidence that you know on March the twenty second, um, the first. Sort of Sunday of, of sort of lockdown conditions, uh, that there might have been more people watching church than there had been physically visiting church the Sunday before that. Um, so he, here's an opportunity for us to, to, to get out there online because it's never been easier to, to share a link to something Christian.
0: Mm-hmm. And just one final question to you, Glenn, just taking a slightly different angle. One of the things that I have I really love about your ministry is your willingness to engage um, with people like Matt Delahunty, for example, in that recent debate that you had. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you go about Um, well, I guess, have you noticed any kind of common themes that have come up in your conversations with those who'd call themselves atheists or seekers as agnostics or, or whatever that for us listening could be like, okay, I'll never be in a debate, you know, with a guy with like Matt, but here's something that I can use in my own conversations, um, with those who don't yet know the Lord.
2: Hmm. Massively. I I think human rights is just a, is just a massive area that we got into with, um, Matt Dillahunty, and he had an assumed humanism, uh, which is the fruit of the gospel, the fruit of Christian civilization. Um, And at the same time, as he wants to hack at the roots of um, Christianity, he also wants to plunder the fruits of Christianity, and you just can't do it. Um, So, you know, someone like a Matt Dillahunty wants to claim that they are an atheist humanist. And I want to say, pick one. Mm -hmm. You cannot have both um and you know if if you want to dive into this more i i, I think dominion by tom holland is a ter- terrific book um going through you know the history of the west as the history of christianity taking root um and Tom Holland the secular historian is very very clear that the only reason why we why we want to prize the poor and the vulnerable in our world the only reason why we think that a society should be judged according to how we treat the least and the last and the lost the the only reason why we have these humanist values that every single human being uh is of equal value these are nuts ideas to 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 classical antiquity these are nuts ideas plato and aristotle if you if you said to plato you know Andy and Christy, they are utterly equal. But you know, obviously Christy is more intelligent than Andy. And obviously <laughs> Christy, Christy is better looking than Andy. Christy Christie is far more economically valuable than Andy. Christy you know <laughs> and Plato would see all these things very clearly. We can all see them. I mean it's plain plain as the nose on Andy's face. But <laughs> Oh my <laughs> He's going for you. I'm really going for it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I've been saving it up to the end of the podcast. <laughs> Someone like a Plato or an Aristotle would say, okay, so in what sense is Christianity equal? They're, they're, like when we, when we analyze two different human beings, what we are seeing is their differences. In what magical realm does this thing called equality exist? Um, and yet it has bedded itself down so, fun, you know, so fundamentally in, a, in the way that we see the world that, of course, all human beings are equal and have an inherent dignity and value. Um, no, no only Jesus gives you that. And to the degree that you walk away from the Jesus story, you are also walking away from human rights. You're also walking away from human dignity. And so, you know, have a look at the Matt Dillahunty, you know, unbelievable um, thing that I did, or or look at Andy's, um, you know, chat with uh, Peter Singer, um, also on the on the big conversations with with Unbelievable. And, and you see, you know, it's, it's fascinating that, you know, Peter Singer, Would never sign a humanist manifesto. Like he, he would never sign onto those sorts of things because he realizes how thoroughly Christian (laughs) these ideas are. Um, You know, humanism is just speciesism. Speciesism. If you, if you walk away from the Gospel of Jesus Christ, it's Jesus Christ who gives us these moral values that we just hold dear. Um, And I'm finding that very, very powerful. in, in talking to people and people just haven't really considered the cost of walking away from Jesus. And I think societally we are seeing that it is either Jesus or the pit. It's either Jesus or the abyss. Um, and you know, that, that could sound like a really, you know, rednecked fundamentalist kind of thing to say, it's either Jesus or hell. Um, but actually historically it's true. (laughs) Um, Jesus is the one who saves us from a pit of our own making. He's the one who saves us from a will to power and this sort of Nietzschean Mm. dystopian vision for for what society should be like. Um, So these are areas that I'm pressing into more and more, and, and I'm finding them very fruitful.
0: Hmm. just thinking about things on the level of assumptions like that is is so potent isn't it i think that's that's so helpful thank you so much glenn we i've just looked at the time and we are running out of time thank you so much for your time today as ever it's a joy to chat with you glenn
2: you have lightened my lockdown
0: oh glenn you say all the best things today (laughs) <laughs> um Andy, thank you for being a wonderful co-host. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you again next time.
2: I didn't mean it, Andy. I didn't mean it.
0: Oh, oh, now he's retracting. Now he's oh, retracting.
2: don't worry, I totally asked for yeah, uh, that you're comeback. Right. All to christy I mean, <laughs> thank if, you, you, you know. for listening
0: to Pet Dog. <laughs> we'll catch you again soon. <laughs>
2: Bye.